Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and I'm joined today by Tom Bodie, the president of Bodie Financial Group. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thank you. I'm glad that we have this opportunity. I appreciate it. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Perfect. Well, you know, I just celebrated my 24th anniversary here at Cambridge, which reminds me then that we've been working together for right around 24 years, I believe, and we became friends. And that's the beauty of this business that you and I have chosen. So let's start by you sharing with our listeners your story. How did you get started in this profession and how did you get to where you are today? Well, I'm glad you joined the firm after I did. As I look forward to my 25th year with Cambridge, the Cambridge family, the team, and I mean that with sincerity, as someone who jokes around a lot, because truly the values that we hold are unique to our firm. Very few firms or businesses, regardless of their service, really uphold the values that Cambridge stands for. And candidly, as a jokester, if I see the values that we stand for on someone's business card, I often might go, oh, yeah, sure. But that's not the case at Cambridge. Those values, integrity, commitment, flexibility, kindness, have been in place since we started. And yes, it'll be my 25th anniversary in January of 1997 I started, so I'm coming up on one. But I want to say... When I talk to my peers or potential clients or other people about our firm, those values are held dear to what we do each and every other day. And it does make us unique. It makes us a family. It makes us a team where we care about each other and we care about our staff. We care about the people in the home office the same way the home office cares about us. And likewise, we all are dedicated to our clients, but also, Eric does such a great job, as do you, of saying, we want and we recognize balance and being good to our families and everyone to live the best lives we can. So I didn't mean to segue, but I wanted to say that because it, as I reflect on 25 years, I think it's pretty important. I think it's amazing. It, and it makes me think when you say, how did I get started? My background is that I'm supposed to be a jazz musician, traveling on the road. And I had all kinds of scholarships in high school and I played professionally in Chicago. And I got to play with a lot of guys from The Tonight Show. But I also, and I had free scholarships with parents who liked the idea of scholarships. But I also got to play with the guys from The Tonight Show late at night. And I realized that even if you make it, their lives were very, very tough. Away on the road, other influences. And so along with, I think, pretty deep thoughts at the time, I thought, you know, no, I, I don't think I should pursue it. And my parents and I talked and they had never been to college. I'm an only child. We thought, hey, accounting is a pretty good deal. And in four years, you're a professional. And I said, sure, I'll go to Chicago where my mom wanted me to go. But the jazz clubs were only a mile away and I knew I wouldn't probably study accounting. And I had played there years before. So long story short, mom was very religious. Dad was also religious, but a different religion. And I ended up going to Marquette and chose to study accounting because I thought, hey, in four years, I can have a career, a professional degree, if you will. And I'd like to be a lawyer, but I can discuss that later, but I don't have to do that three-year obligation 
I did graduate, went to Price Waterhouse, one of the big accounting firms, and worked as a CPA for a number of years, both in Milwaukee, Chicago, and New York. I liked that a lot. The hours were tough, and we spent a lot of time working, lots, lots of hours, and I enjoyed that, but we talked about becoming uh, investment advisors or establishing an RIA, and throughout my entire relationship with the firm, and it makes sense. They kind of dabbled with that, but also because they were primarily auditors and tax professionals, there was a little bit of exposure if you were to start to offer investment advice to CEOs and so forth. Realizing that the firm may not quickly jump to that step, but yet I wanted to do financial planning. And I was working about 16 hours a day chargeable in Chicago and inherited 500 tax clients and was told to market financial planning services at night. Well, I decided I might go out on my own. And I was able to affiliate with an investment broker who was pretty sales oriented bluntly, which is not the way I do things. But long story short, I did hook up with a firm that I think was just grossing up their books to have a lot of reps, not necessarily production. And at one of the meetings, I befriended some guy in Florida and he said, Bodie, I'm meeting with Eric Schwartz and you should probably come and fly down because he's a guy that maybe will take a look at you. And honestly, that was the best day in terms of career-wise. I did board the flight. I got down there. Eric spent an hour with me. I don't know how personal or maybe it's not right, but yeah, in that year, I grossed $30,000, but I was teaching myself the business and Eric welcomed me. He knew I had potential. I think he was already, maybe we hadn't established the values of the firm yet, but knew as a CPA that I was a legit guy. And also I did have the opportunity to teach accounting at Marquette for a few years and felt quite confident that I would have some NBA players, former students who trusted me and knew that I was there for them before they became famous and had big contracts. So in any event, Eric offered me, you know, the opportunity to join Cambridge and I've never looked back. And I'm grateful for that time and that commitment that he made in me when I'm not sure a lot of people at that time would have taken the meeting. And so that's how it started at Cambridge. And that's been a lot of fun. It was fun in the smaller years as we got to know each other a little bit more intimately. And it's tremendous to watch the growth largely led by you and, and Eric over the past 20 some years. It's tremendous. At, at the various events, and I've tried to attend as many as I can of the uh, conferences, thoroughly great to see how big the room is. And then there's a little bit of nostalgia going, wow, there's so many new faces, I can't find so-and-so. But you know what, that's growth. That's, that's doing something right. And that's why people are attracted to the firm. Oh, we grew together. And I think that's what's so special about this firm is we have many people who you suggest maybe Eric took a bit of a risk on you and believed in you, but at the same time, it's the financial professionals that chose to take a risk on us because that year you're talking about, we only did $4 million in total revenues. And as you know, we're over a billion now. So together we have grown and that's exciting. It's great to watch how Cambridge has lifted others and others have lifted us. We do it together. And I would say, because... I personally, and it may not surprise you, I don't use the word futurist or visionary too much. But I'll tell you what, Eric Schwartz is a visionary. He is a futurist. And his thoughts throughout the many years now regarding starting just with the hybrid approach 
and about the culture at the firm, about the, the idea that once you join us, you don't ever have to worry about being bought out by an insurance company or having mandates about what investment solutions or insurance or strategies are appropriate for your client is unique. And that's what the public needs. And I think that might've taken a while for people to realize. And, I, and it makes me think in the very early days, back to 97, you know what? Some people would say, who's Tom Bodie? Who's Bodie Financial Group? Who's Cambridge Investment Research? And before they might, I sense they might not want to talk before I could get in there, I'd say, but we clear through Fidelity or we clear through NFS or Pershing, whatever. And then they might stay. But over the years, it became an advantage to say, well, no, I'm not at a particular large broker dealer that is primarily compensated through the sale of commission products, but instead we're independent. We're able to offer what we think is best. We do the due diligence and I can do what I really wanted to do, which was to do the entire picture, maybe not to do it all, but to be involved in tax preparation, estate planning, life insurance, retirement planning, college funding, investment strategies, retirement, you name it. And that's what I think makes it so unique. And frankly, I think that's what many of the people, well, most people in the world now desire. Maybe a one-stop shop, not where we represent that we do all of those, but we have relationships with others who can assist us, other professionals. Absolutely. So that's a great segue. Let's talk about the fact that you work with a couple of large companies and that gives you the opportunity, I believe, to combine some of the services for the investors that you work with. Talk about creating financial planning workshops for those clients and just describe for us, for our audience, how all of that works. And in particular, I love the fact that you combine the tax side of things with the investment side of things because they are very interconnected. And I do think that a lot of successful planners pay a lot of attention to those things. The corporate opportunities arose from my prior relationships with the big eight accounting firms. And initially they were downsizing requests where they had decided to downsize and wanted to bring in a, if you will, some kind of independent third party to offer some explanations as to discussion as to the financial decisions or ramifications that they might may now be facing. I also think it was strategic and appropriate on the company's part to say, we're going to bring in somebody who's impartial. You know, I, I, I wasn't there to explain the company's position, but to say, hey, unfortunately, the decision has been made. So let's make the best of the situation. Let's really go through your benefits. And some of those meetings were a little uncomfortable because I think they looked to me as though I was the bad guy. And I would say, hey, I'm just trying to help you out, but let's talk about the various tax rules or some were complicated, some not, but of saying, oh, if you retire and you're 55, you can take your, your 401k perhaps without a 10% penalty versus rolling it to an IRA. Little strategies like that, but we would break it up and talk about life, all the various aspects of financial planning that many that we all do at the firm primarily. And it was quite rewarding to do the seminars. It was also fun for me as a guy who did teach at Marquette and did get into Madison and Northwestern's PhD program. However, after interviewing in person to see if I should actually go, 
they would reject my doctoral work, which was on communication skills, saying we could all help people, maybe in engineering and other career paths where we expect accountants or financial people to be great with numbers. But what's so important in our industry now, but I'm relating this back 30 some years ago, was saying, but can you talk to investors, clients who are about to retire or who have just been informed that they may not be out of a job in a year? And I thought that was a really important connection. The PhD schools thought that was a little light. And I think they, they thought I was going to develop a theory that debits really, they really belong on the right, not the left. So needless to say, that's why I'm still doing financial planning. But I think the reward of working with those companies was tremendous. But I also want to say, you know, it relates to what we do today, meaning I'm not sure if we all do, but it seems that most of my clients do have a flex benefit enrollment, typically in the fall. And we can be of great value to our clients of saying, hey, let me help you with that. And, you know, then in, just like these clients in the corporations, hey, the point being, hey, these are givens. You know, this is the way the benefit program works. So let's pick the best of the best that you are offered. And then because we're with Cambridge, we're independent, we have freedom to do what's best for our clients. We're going to make the best with other investments where we have more freedom, as opposed to those that are limited in the nature of your employer benefits. So I bring that up as saying those seminars were great, but it's very similar to what we do with each of our clients of saying, hey, every year, they're not nuts about filling out that benefit form. You're always a little apprehensive. But it's certainly something where we can help them maximize the benefits or the 401ks or insurance options within their plans and then say, but you know what, we're going to round it out because we have very much freedom with appropriate due diligence to round out and do make your portfolio whole, given those two restraints. Yeah, I can't agree more. Benefit plans these days in particular, but I'm sure it's been that way for a long time, are highly complex. My oldest is one step further to being off of the Weber payroll with a full-time job. And I just spent the weekend reviewing her benefit options with her. And even I had to call in an expert because it is a little complex and there's some anxiety to it. What if you pick the wrong thing or more accurately miss it, right? It's great that there's people like you there to help them out. No, and, and I think that to me is really rewarding. Or I would say, well, I'll bring this up. I think Cambridge compliance, as an example, this might not be on topic of where you might go with questions, but of saying, does an excellent job. And their job is to help us through this maze of government intervention from FINRA, the SEC, DOL, XYZ, TLB, whatever. And so I think it's a terribly difficult job, but they're in our, doing the best interest for us. But it's a little frustrating, I think, for a lot of advisors right now with the goal is to get that person to retire and the plan works. That brings great joy to the client as well as us as advisors. And yet the ever increasing demands of government intervention, it means that more time constantly has to be spent on disclosures and so forth. And certainly I'm all for disclosing, but I think sometimes that weighs down on the joy and the progression and the happiness that we're all trying to do and helping our clients achieve whatever their goals are, sending their kids to Harvard or whatever it may be, and retiring at a certain age. 
And there are just sometimes, and again, I wanna say, I think Cambridge does a great job. They're only trying to help what we need to do as the government might say in the rules and regulations area. But I'm saying sometimes that's frustrating, I'm sure to many of us where candidly, as we fill out a disclosure, I might think if you thoroughly understood everything in this document, you might be me and I'm glad to fill it out, but it's less time that I can devote to helping clients meet their goals, whatever they are. I'm not sure that's where we were headed but at all, but it's just a thought of mine that has dampened a little bit of my love for the profession. I also would say though, uh, and, and by the way, recently I listened to your podcast with Eric and it made me think so much about, well, truly his visionary approach, all the things about how he came about to develop Cambridge and how you, you know, early on joined, joined with him to, to build the team as we have it today, the Cambridge family. Hmm. But I think back to the idea of our values, integrity, commitment, flexibility, kindness, all of that wraps into, hey, dealing with an honest advisor, honest relationships at the home office. We're dedicated to, to doing the best we can and treating each other the best we can. And by that, I mean our staff people, our home office, the advisors, our clients, and our families. Because as a profession, I think we work pretty hard. And I, I tie that into, and also kindness. Overall, I don't think it's really kind industry. It's tough, but not at our firm. It's expected. And it makes it pleasant. In an area that is very difficult with rules and regulations constantly being you know, talked about. So I think when he, he started out and as you've led the firm, I think that's why people join us and they don't really care about maybe signing bonuses from other firms because they want to be part of a good family team like we had at Cambridge. And I say that as I approach 58, because also when I listen to Eric and as he was talking with you on his podcast of saying, Things are changing a little bit in my life where I'm starting to think about, it's been a lot of work, 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 but what's next? And I would also share in this, just about experiences in life of saying in his podcast, and it couldn't be more true, and I'm a failure. How about that? But I, it is what it is. He mentions quickly to hire and delegate and to concentrate on what you can do. And it might be, a little bit of perfectionism and analness, really wanting it to be perfect, perfection. And I'm not saying the work doesn't have to be correct, but I guess dotting I's and crossing T's could be let gone, or they certainly can be tasks that should be delegated so that our advisors can use what they've been trained for, their expertise, the diplomas on the wall to help their clients which, with what really matters. And candidly, I, I say this just because if our other advisors do hopefully listen once in a while, I am someone who didn't do that. And it took me years to do it. And only in the last couple of years do I feel real good about it. And I wanna say perfectionism, the analness, that's not productive and it doesn't lead to happy things. But at this stage in my life, I, as I approach a little bit, getting a little bit older, I think, wow, I might be ready, ready to rumble and grow a lot because right now the team cooks. And at the same time, I also would say because of what Eric mentioned and often of saying, yeah, I think you need to smell a little bit of the roses every day too. 
because you just never know. Life is precious and can be short. In our own practice, if someone were to ask now, it largely started out with CPAs from big firms who frankly invested with me because they trusted me. I grew up with one of them and they viewed me as not a salesman or a commissioned guy, but somebody who would really do the planning and what was right. And now I would tell you if we had a specialty and I don't really wanna say it is, but the most rewarding and many, many numerous clients of ours, unfortunately are widows and in fact, I think in the last year and a half, we lost five men, 62 or under. And it really makes you think about, they were all good friends of mine as well and worked like crazy and very sad personal relationships with their families. But what I want to point out is extremely rewarding for us to help a survivor, whether it's female or male, but to help them work through the maze and the options and the, the questions that need to be answered. And it's emotionally draining as well because they were our friends, but that certainly is something that we love to do. I don't know if I should say we love to do, but should the need arise, I feel we have an expertise in that. With again, the, I don't wanna say holistic, but the approach of comprehensive financial planning, working with attorneys, CPAs, and all the decisions that someone may face. But I wanna tie it back to the same thing with Eric, and I know you talked about it too, of saying, well, yeah, for many years, I've worked like a crazy person because of what I did at the accounting firm. So I thought it was necessary to do professionally in this business that I've been in since 1994. Now you need to smell the roses a little bit, you need to delegate if you can, you need to trust and communicate with those people and build a good team. And you need to do some things and plan on what makes you really happy. And I like to work, but I'd like to play some jazz. I'd like to go on some cruises, probably soon, not just yet. And I probably want to go to Scotland, maybe do a little distillery exploration, you know. But I think all of those things tie in so much to, again, a holistic approach that I think is embraced by the firm of saying, yeah, I think it's great. Eric will talk, you will talk about saying, hey, get the right sleep, get the right diet. Guess what? Hey fans, I've been a failure, but I spent about 12 weeks in Florida, a couple of weeks a month in the last six months. And I got my five miles in every day. And I thought a lot about the future. I was listening to jazz as I walked and I ate properly. And I thought business one went really well. I worked a few hours a day then I enjoyed the sun, but I could rely on the staff that I took years to build. And I wish I would have done it sooner. And two, as I age, or you, you talked about your daughter of saying, I have a 19 year old and a 17 year old. That makes you think too about what's next and they're going through a new part of life as well. So that balance part of balance meaning I came from work, 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 study, 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 straight A's are what matters. I'm more of a, hey, I'd love it if my kid got a three, five, but exercised every day, ate every day, was positive and healthy, especially given the last year, the entire world has experienced with COVID. Hey, that was beautiful. I think the way I would maybe summarize what you just described in such a beautiful way is that, um, even at our age, in our 50s, we can still learn and change. And that's not easy, 
But if you do that, if you focus on that, then good things will come. So for the audience, let's dig a little bit deeper, if you don't mind. Go back to that, as close to that moment as you can get when you realized that it was important for you to start delegating and then talk to us about your team. Describe how that journey went and what you built first and how difficult it was, but rewarding to pass some things off to others. Well, bluntly, I have a weakness in that regard. It goes back to, yeah, that idea of, hey, getting a 3.9 GPA in grad school or get in the MBA. And I look back at that and I think, so what? Meaning that I think you could get a 3.5, if you will. And to get the 3.9, though, might be exponentially very difficult. But I'm really pleased if somebody says, I got a 3.5. Now you could say, why am I bringing that up? Well, because when every piece of paperwork leaves, and in fact, Cambridge actually named me an Elmer years ago. Uh, it's a professional designation called an extremely low maintenance rep because of the beautiful work of our paperwork. But you know, it doesn't have to be that way and it should be accurate, but it could be taught and delegated to someone. And I think throughout my time, I always felt backed up. I've always, I've been a luxury. I always have work to do. I always can go to work and service clients. And at the same time, because I never staffed up, it was hard to accomplish that. Or it was hard to say, oh, well, I'm going to go have, do other things today too, and then go to work and do that. And over the years, I did try to hire several people, but I might've stayed with them too long, or frankly, I might not have taught them correctly or, or met with them constantly to make sure that we both succeeded. And I would also share again, I want to say one time Eric told me, you should just keep on hiring until you get the right person. And if that means you need to move on to the next one, it just does. And if I had my life to, to live over, I would do that. But finally, we attempted many times and we have some interns. I have a great assistant who's been with me for 18 years. And finally, I have a junior financial advisor for the last two years who is willing to learn, sharp, ethical, and he matches all of our values that we share. And I have committed to spending time with him every week or every day a little bit to review what are we doing to make sure he's getting a lot of time with me and I'm also spending time with him. We're keeping expectations better that way and we're keeping workflow better that way and we're both happier that way. And in fact, that enabled me with that relationship to enjoy the several weeks in Florida, still knowing that things were going on or saying, hey, I got to come out of the sun for a while and have a meeting for an hour or two. And although I have a big, beautiful body and it needs the sun and people like it when I am getting the sun. So I'd step out to a veranda for a while, take care of it for an hour or two and then get back to the pool. And I felt good about those meetings. And that's made me think, you don't have to be my age, 57, to start doing that. As many other sharper people than me do at Cambridge, and God bless them. It's also allowed me on an ongoing battle, and I'm a very open guy of saying, yeah, for years I've had a weight issue. But that idea of a more liberating office experience has made me say, hey, get out there and take a walk. So I've been out walking and I've been eating. And, and a lot of that is directly related to the reduced stress I feel here. 
And it's not really for me financial. It was about finding the right person. But I think finding the right person is very, very difficult. And if you're a perfectionist, you may not find the right person. You have to find somebody who it's reasonable and who can help you and you help them where they need help and they compliment you. And, and also of saying, I might've hired people in the past who were like me. Well, that's just the opposite. Hire people who do things that I'm not good at. And I'm embarrassed at 57. And yet on the other hand, well, I finally got it. But I, I can't emphasize that more than building the team out, I think is really crucial. And I would encourage people to do it utilize Cambridge for the resources they have. That's been something that in my almost 25 years now, I really haven't had, it's never been better than the last couple of years. It's also somewhat unique. I would just say COVID has not impacted our working relationship. We've been in the office every day. And in sometimes talking with clients, we have to remember that their experience is quite different. But we've been here every day and didn't have to stop. Client meetings are down a little bit, but we do have clients in several different states that it wouldn't matter anyhow. But it has been comforting for us to be able to come to work every day and to work together. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing all of that. Important lessons that if people can learn it even a few years before you did will be beneficial to their careers and their life. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. You mentioned your son's. And I would love for you to share with our audience a little bit about the boys and more specifically, you've mentioned a lot of your hobbies as well, but one thing I know that you did a lot with your sons as they were growing up was to invest time in giving back to the military community. So let's talk about that and other things. You make it sound like all you did was work, but I know that you were a great father and spent a lot of time with those boys as they turn into adults now. So talk to us about that. For me, there's nothing better. I'm an only kid. On the other hand, I have 21 first cousins who lived in a 10 mile radius. So yes, on Christmas morning, I was spoiled. By Christmas night, they had taken all my stuff and broke it. And in hindsight, that was good because they were, you know, and I'm the youngest. And I'd also add to that of saying my grandpa was Tom. My cousin was big Tom. He was about 6'4", 440. So you had to watch out. But of saying, but to have, I just want to share that my, my own parents called me Bodie. So it's a little bit interesting to have a first name, but I really didn't know what it would be like to have kids. And it was the best thing in the world for me. For others, teach his own. To me, to have those two kids, when Tommy, my oldest, was born, he's born, he's now 19. The day of his birth, I instantly felt a love that was more deeper than I've ever experienced in my life. And I felt very guilty about that because my wife was there. And I thought, wow, I, I'm going to be candid. I guess Tommy just became, I loved him just a little bit more if you're putting on a scale, and that's the truth. And I felt I have my most important job in life now is this baby. I'd also point out that two years later, when the same, this time Teddy was being born, as soon as he was born, I picked him up and I said, oh, Tommy, 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 to which my wife said, his name is Ted. And she was right. So I called the kid the wrong name. What can I say? But I kind of wanted to be like Foreman, George Foreman, and name, name all the kids Tom. I just think it's a good name because everybody calls us Bodie anyhow. So what's the difference? 
yeah, the kids brought, brought me a great amount of joy. Watching them grow up has been really neat. I think people would laugh when they might get in the fights or roll around a little bit. It would bother me. And I'd be like, don't you understand? You two have each other forever. You must love each other. And my wife would laugh like a hyena and think, oh my God, let it go. But I thought, hey, uh, without having a brother or a sister, a sibling, I thought, well, boy, when times are tough, that's who I hope, you know, you guys stay for friends forever. But it is true, or, or segueing a little bit, great to watch them in Little League and soccer and all the other activities. But one of the things we did early on was become involved in Stars and Stripes Honor Flight, where they fly out veterans out to D.C. to see the memorials in Arlington National Cemetery and so forth. And it's just a wonderful thing. And then Milwaukee, they do it all across the country, but Milwaukee is, I, I don't know how it compares to others, but I can literally say that it's really an amazing event when they fly groups out. And when the, the plane goes out for the day, they go out to Washington with veterans that used to be from World War II, then uh, Korea, now Vietnam, it's been on hold because of COVID. But they would, they would leave about six and get back about nine o'clock to the airport. And there might be 2,000 people there. And to me, I took my kids. We didn't really know anybody on the flights, but eventually we did. But it's something I wish all kids experienced or that I wish was part of history class because those are true heroes. And the joy that they received by being welcomed home by 2,000 people in an airport was pretty tremendous. But it's also something, here I am a guy that's had a few professional athletes that I'm fortunate to be friends with and I manage their financial affairs. And I look up to them as my, my clients are superb and outstanding and good role models and this and that. And I don't want to comment about all the things that are going on in sports right now. But what I do want to say is, hey, a lot of the people or, or the veterans, if you will, you know, they were 18-year-olds that signed up and volunteered to go and serve our country, to make America safe, to keep us free to live the American way of life. You don't hear about them that much. And to me, nothing to take away from the accomplishments, talents of athletes. And I don't mean it by the current politics. I mean, years ago when you just said, ah, oh, uh, so-and-so, the athlete's my idol. I just mean that, well, you often don't hear about the 18-year-old enlisting. And sometimes when you next do, it's not in the right part of the newspaper. That's all I'll say. It's announcing something that might have been tragic, but it's a volunteer army right now. And these people go ahead and do that. And so without belaboring it too much of saying my dad did serve in uh, Korea. He was a medic. He was uh, wounded on the line attending to his men. And he never talked to me at all about his service. Never. We're mildly politically involved in our family. We have been for years, but he wouldn't even wear a shirt if you said so-and-so for a certain candidate. Long story short, I visit Arlington National Cemetery frequently due to having a number of clients in Washington who are clients and friends. And I would always visit the Tomb of the Unknown. I, I think it's one of the most sacred places in the country as well as unfortunately 9-11 Memorial. And long story short, to speed it up of saying people suggested that because my father had a purple heart, he qualified to be buried at Arlington. I said, I'm not sure that's appropriate because my, my dad made it through and, and came home and worked for many years building asbestos products.
works, unfortunately. But I hold Arlington in a higher regard, but the administration actually encouraged me and said, you know, your dad can rest here at Arlington. I'll admit it here on live TV. I didn't tell my father. And I talked thoroughly with people in the administration who said, no, he qualifies and he should be here. And so guess what? When my dad passed, I buried him at Arlington. And I don't regret it. I love it because it's been an opportunity for me to bring my family and my young boys from several years ago when they were little to Arlington to witness that beautiful yet haunting cemetery and to see the respect, honor, commitment given to those who gave all. And dad's buried in a section that happens to be maybe still the current section. And what I mean by that is in case we have casualties now, that's where they come home. And in fact, just a week ago, President Biden was focused, pictured in section 60 where my dad is buried. And I could actually see his grave in the photo. And why do I want to mention it? Because it sure teaches you some humbleness and appreciation for service and respect, honor, and also in a, a very sad way, but because of that location, Section 60 being active, my dad was laid to rest there, but we've probably been 20 times and many times observed current funerals. And so we would leave and walk away respectfully, but talk with my sons. And we would talk about what was happening and that there was a young family who had just lost their father or their mother. That lesson, it doesn't need to be Arlington. It could be at any veteran's service or at a veteran's cemetery, but truly has given a, a deeper purpose to my family and the boys and instilled values in that. I love to walk around that cemetery and it's gorgeous and it's sad. I can't do anything about the men and women who lie and rest there, but I sure as heck and my boys and my wife, we can do what we can to take care of the surviving family members or loved ones. And so that's been, I can't say that we do, you know, specifically, here's, here's our tally, but it's really important for us to honor and to help those families. That's given a great deal of purpose to us. And in fact, I would like to, at some point, I don't know when the years are, but I'd like to, because I know how to delegate now. I'd like to slow down a little bit, rely on my staff more. And I'd like to spend time in Washington, maybe for a few months, I, in maybe six months, and take my time to review all the memorials, all the monuments, all the museums at my leisure rather than as a tourist, and the Walk Dead Cemetery, which I find so much peace in. So, but it really has made me think we must take care or help those who are survivors or who have loved ones who are in the service right now. Just another example of why you were honored with our spirit at Cambridge a few years ago. You, what you're describing, even in a different environment, is honoring those core values that we have in common. And you truly are an angel. So, Tom, thanks for sharing your journey. I appreciate you expressing your vulnerabilities to some extent and letting people in our audience know that financial professionals in today's world, they do have values and they are out to make a difference in the lives of their clients and others and give back. And it isn't just sometimes what people envision Wall Street to be. And you're a really phenomenal example of that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So are you. 
it's a pleasure to be really part of the team. And I'm not an emotional kind of guy, except for certain issues. But you can't find what we have at Cambridge elsewhere. And I'm not on a promo tour. I'm just saying you can't. Full disclosure, I haven't paid him. We are just hashtag Cambridge Strong. Right. Very good. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you soon. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com.